Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ, and I am so excited you've decided to listen to this lesson today. This is another one of our lessons in the continuing series, looking at the Jerusalem Church, one of the most victorious and successful churches in all of history. We believe that if we can be like them, doing what they did, we can have the same kind of success for the Lord that they had. So open your Bibles as we learn today from the Jerusalem Church how to lose no one in the crowd. I like a small church. Because everybody can just get to know one another and take one another, take care of one another, and we can all just be really close. I like a huge church. Because then I can just come in there and kind of get lost in the crowd and nobody really knows I'm there and nobody bothers me and nobody misses me. Those two statements sound like they might be opposites, but actually they're the very same statement. In smaller churches, it's easier to keep up with people. And in larger churches, it's easier to get lost in the crowd. The question we have to ask is, is that the way it's supposed to be? Is that just an inherent problem with larger churches? Is that just the way it is, that the bigger the church gets, it's just you're just going to lose people and you can't help it? Or is that an issue of the way large churches are typically run? You know, we, we have to ask this question because you know what happens as we baptize people? What happens to a congregation when you baptize somebody? gets a little bigger. What if you baptize 10 somebodies, or 50 somebodies, or 100 somebodies? It just keeps getting bigger. And we need to figure out what exactly we need to do, because if it's just inherent that, well, the more people you bring in, you're just going to start losing people and you can't help it, then maybe we ought to get to a point where we just quit trying to bring people in, because what's the use of baptizing folks if the more people you baptize, the more the folks are already there, you can't take care of and they leave. Because, you see, here's what happens. As people come into the congregation, we all have needs, don't we? We have physical needs, we have spiritual needs, emotional needs, mental needs. And that's part of the benefit of being in this kind of relationship. We can help take care of one another's needs. But the more and more people you have, just the more and more needs you get. And sooner or later you get to a point where the folks who are meeting needs are just pretty well tapped out and they can't do anything else. And then when one more person comes in, the thing is tilted over to where it just can't be handled. And in order to meet needs for this new person, somebody else gets lost in the crowd. Now, before we just get upset about those who are lost in the crowd, saying they're just weak, and if they were stronger, this wouldn't happen. Well, of course that's true. I mean, if we were all perfect Christians, none of us would get lost in the crowd. We wouldn't need anybody to meet our needs. But this is all about growth. This is about us helping one another grow. And so the question that we have to ask is, how do we keep from losing people in the crowd? As we grow, how are we going to deal with that? This year, we've been focusing on the Jerusalem church, and we've learned quite a few things about them as we've looked at their keys to victory and success. We've learned that they were continually devoted to worship. We've talked about their unity as they had one heart and one soul. We've talked about how they aggressively dealt with problems. But one of the amazing things about the Jerusalem church is the fact that they lost no one in the crowd. And when you talk about having a crowd, look at Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, 
The very first day that the church was established, the apostles preached in Acts 2, verse 41, so then those who received His Word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. That's a crowd. In chapter 4 and verse 4, but many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. When you add in wives and widows, you're probably looking at more than 10,000 people as a part of this congregation. You can look in Acts chapter 5 and verse 14. It didn't stop there. It said, All the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. Multitudes were constantly added to their number. This was a crowd. And yet, they seemed to be able to take care of the needs of those that were in their congregation. I believe if we take a look at what happened in Jerusalem, we can learn as we grow what we need to do in order to make sure that as we baptize more and more people, because we are going to baptize more and more people, how are we going to keep from losing one another in the crowd? Before we look at that, I want to share with you a few things, some modern concepts, some things that people do today to try to keep from losing folks in the crowd. The very first one is, it's obvious, let's just not have a crowd. Why, if the more people we get, we start losing them, then let's just stay small. And you know, there are some congregations that pride themselves in being small. There are Christians that pride themselves in being small. I have to tell you, it bothers me when I hear people say, boy, I like just having about 100 to 150 people. Because that's how we can know one another and take care of one another. But what about that lost guy down the road? How are we going to take care of him? And there are some churches that pride themselves on being small. I've been places where you find out, here's the church, if you want a small one, this is the one you go to. And they always talk about growth and how they want to grow, but we just haven't seemed to be able to do it yet. You know why? Because we really don't want it. When more people come in, they bring problems, and we don't want those problems. And so it's just kind of psychological. They like being small, they stay small. Let's not have a crowd, we don't have to worry about that. Number two, this is my second favorite one. The preacher keeps up with everybody. After all, the preacher's the one that studied with them and baptized with them, and so now he's going to help them grow, and he's got to study with them and ground them and make them become strong, faithful Christians. When they have marriage problems, he's the one we're going to call to counsel us. When somebody dies, he's the one we call in order to bury them. When somebody wants to get married, he's the one we call in order to marry them. When somebody's in the hospital, he's the one we call in order to get them to come and visit and pray with them. When somebody's having problems with their brethren, he's the one we call in order to mediate it. And after a while... There just isn't enough time in the day. And sooner or later, when you get so many people in a congregation, there's just only so much that one person can do. And if you add just one more, it's too much. And somebody starts getting lost in the crowd. And so some of that just great idea, let's not just make it the preacher's work. Let's divide up the congregation among the elders. We'll take all the elders, like here we have six of them. We've got about 140 people. We'll divide them up a little over 20 apiece. You know, 22, 23, and it's their job now to meet the needs of that small group. And that's fine. I mean, about 22, 23 people, that ought to work pretty well. Ought to be able to do that. Until, of course, the congregation gets to be three or four or 500, and suddenly all you've done is spread the base of workers, but the more people you get, the more problems there are, the more things, and sooner or later, even that small group of men is just tapped out. You add one more person, and they can't accomplish anything else with them. And finally... In order to take care of this new person, somebody who's been here a while has to get dropped. And you start losing people in the crowd. Now here's the one. Uh, this is the fourth one. Modern approach, it's all the rage. 
Um, I know this is going to be shocking to you, but the, the fourth one is assign small groups. Um, a lot of churches are doing this. A lot of churches have had a little bit of success with it. I mean, we're trying it to some degree, but I'm just going to tell you, I've looked at a lot of churches, and while I've seen some have a little bit of success, and they can move from about 150 to maybe 250, I haven't seen anybody use this approach that's made it over three or four or 500 people. I mean, they all hit a max. And I'll tell you, there's just some inherent problems in this and the way it's typically done among churches. I'm not saying you shouldn't have any type of small group program. I'm just saying that there's some inherent problems. Number one, it always, always struggles along that line of social gospel. As you, you're walking that fine line between the church establishing social and secular groups that are about getting together and eat, which is not what the church is about. The second problem is typically the way we do it, instead of training leaders, we're just assign leaders. They really don't know what they're supposed to do with the folks that are in their group. The third problem, and this is probably the biggest problem, as much as we talk about how we're doing this to try to get to know one another and like one another and be friends with everybody, typically we resent having our friends assigned to us. And it becomes a problem. And after a while, I've seen it happen in several congregations where they have the group program, it works well for a while, but then it starts getting in the way of their normal relationships and they start resenting having their friends assigned to them. And it just causes that, causes that kind of problem. And then fourthly, the other issue is that instead of spreading the work out entirely over the congregation, usually all it accomplishes is increasing the workload by a few volunteers. And the more people you get, you end up with that same problem. You have a few people that are meeting everybody's needs, and you add one more person, and they can't do it. And finally, somebody gets lost in the crowd. Interestingly, as we take a look at the Scriptures, the Jerusalem Church didn't use any of these methods. They had two keys that helped them lose no one in the crowd. The very first key was they developed layers of leaders. They worked on leadership development. Instead of having a bottom-up mentality, they had a top-down. Instead of the leaders, the apostles being the ones that go around and try to make sure everybody at the bottom is, is being taken care of and, and kept, everybody at the fringes is kept in the circle, they worked at the top and, and worked on leaders. And that kind of pulled everybody up. I want you to look at this illustration in Acts chapter 6. There was a time in Jerusalem when people were getting lost in the crowd. People were being overlooked for some of the needs that they had. And in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, beginning, we read this. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Here was the point where folks were being lost in the crowd. It could have split the congregation and destroyed it, but instead, because of the way they dealt with it, more and more people were able to, able to come in. People were being overlooked regarding the needs that they had. And when the issue was brought before the apostles, I want you to notice what the apostles didn't do. The apostles didn't just look at the congregation and say, all right, y'all, do better. The apostles didn't say, all right, there's 12 of us and 15,000 of you and we'll divide you up among us 
and start taking care of this issue. The apostles didn't say, all right, let's set up work groups and make sure there's an even number of widows in each work group and each work group take care of it. The apostles said, let's develop some leaders. Let's find some men who will be in charge of this task. And I want to highlight in charge of this task. It wasn't here seven men that now take care of all the widows' needs. Have you just ever thought about how many widows would have been there? You realize if we take some of the lower numbers, 5,000 or so, you take the number of widows we have in our group here of about 140 to 150, a little over, a little over 11% are widows here. You take that and you're going to end up with 350 to 400 widows at those lower levels. By the time they got to 15,000, you'd have well over 1,000 widows. No wonder these men were not feeding the widows, but were in charge of the task. What did these leaders then have to do? They had to start working with folks to help them accomplish the job. So you start developing the leaders. The apostles took these seven men got them to where they could accomplish this job, and now these seven men are having to work with others. You know what that does? Pulls people up. That's exactly what was happening. They were developing these leaders. And as you develop the leaders and work on folks and, and strengthen them, what do they do? They work with others. If we're going to be able to keep people from being lost in the crowd, we're actually going to have to do what is counterintuitive to us. When we think about losing folks in the crowd, we want to go to the elders and say, you've got to go deal with so-and-so. He or she is on the fringes. They're having problems. You go deal with that. And the elders then spend all their time running around, putting out fires, and things they're just spinning their wheels. Now, some of that has to be done, but what will, what will be better is if we took the approach that the apostles did and start focusing on we're going to train you as a leader, and you are going to develop as a leader, and you're going to develop as a leader, because you know what a leader is? A leader is a person with followers. And if we work on people making them leaders, what are they naturally going to do? They're going to start bringing other folks up with them. They'll develop leaders who will develop leaders who will develop more leaders, and on down. And just like this was taken care of here, by developing this layer of leaders by recognizing that leadership doesn't just mean eldership, but it means helping others and serving them and bringing them along. When we're doing that, that's going to keep people from being lost in the crowd because we're dividing that work out over the congregation. This wasn't done by assignment. This wasn't an issue of the apostles uh, pulled pull folks along and said, you know, look, here's, here's the only people you can help. That's not what's done. They were just turned into leaders. And leaders did their work. Some of these leaders, while they had assignments, like taking care of these widows, wasn't it Stephen that was also involved in teaching? And Philip that was also the evangelist? Various things they did because they had been developed. The second thing that we'll notice from the Jerusalem church was the house-to-house contact. They didn't lose people in the crowd because they didn't just relate with one another in the crowd. Regrettably, so many of us lead such fast-paced lives and we've got so much going on. We can spend all week long at work. We can be in the PTA. We can go to all the teachers' meetings and the soccer games and the baseball games. And about the only time we spend with one another is right here. Well, no wonder we get lost in the crowd. This is the only time we see each other. But when we take a look at what was happening in these churches in the New Testament, specifically in Jerusalem, we find out that they had house-to-house contact with one another. They were getting together with one another. They were spending time with one another outside of these walls, outside of their coming together as one accord at the temple. That's one of the very first things we learn in Acts chapter 2. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. But very interestingly, as I take a look at what was going on here, it doesn't say anything about assignment. It doesn't say anything about the elders or the apostles having to sit down and let's go through the congregation and find out where everybody lives and how old they are and whether they're married or single and how many kids they are and then we're going to divide it up evenly and then we're going to rotate it to make sure everybody gets to meet everybody. It didn't do that. Christians just spent time with other Christians. And they were open and new people came in and things shifted. Why did that work? I believe it worked because they worked through what I call circles of contact. Let me give you an illustration. This is not in Jerusalem. This is actually in Joppa. But look in Acts chapter 9. Because this is the best illustration of this concept. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 36. Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, excuse me, when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. What we find here is a circle of contact. Here was a group of people with a specific need, and Tabitha took care of that need. She saw this group of people. She wasn't assigned. She just took care of it, because these were folks that she came in contact with. I believe it was a circle of contact here, because I think she was probably also a widow, or at least perhaps had never been married. Simply because I find it interesting that there are a bunch of widows saying, I hope she'll come back, but there's no husband. And when Peter presents her to somebody, he doesn't present her to a husband, presents her to the other widows and to the saints. And so I may be speculating too much there, but nevertheless, here's the concept. Here was a circle of people that she was working with. And when we think about circles of contact, what kind of, of just naturally forming circles are there? There are circles of circumstance. Widows. Young Marys. People with kids. There are circles of geography. Some of us live down in Spring Hill. Some of us live up here in Franklin. Some over in Fairview. Some on the east side of Franklin. Some in particular neighborhoods. You know, they live together. They just more naturally can spend some more time with one another. There are circles of interests. Jimmy likes golf. I don't have any idea why. But he does. And so what can he do? He can get together with Phil, who also likes golf. Now, I don't ever get invited to those golf parties. You know why? Because I can't stand golf. Okay, we don't have that same interest, but here are things that Christians can do, and they can do them together, and now there's an automatic time for them to be able to come together. And while they're out there shooting golf, they don't just have to talk about selling insurance and railroad. They can also talk about, hey, you know what I read in the Bible last week? All those kind of things can happen. Circle of Proximity. How many of you sit in almost the exact same place every service that you come in? Come on, there should be more hands than that. That's what I thought. We just almost always sit in the exact same place. And so that means when we come in here, we're going to be closest to about the same people every time. 
And so some circles can form there as we learn how to encourage and work with the folks that we sit around, which is going to be tough for you guys to sit over here because there's not many of y'all. That means y'all need to start baptizing some folks who can sit by. So all these, these circles that we have of, of contacts that we can work with, just like Tabitha did. And it doesn't have to be a sign. It's just very natural. But I tell you what it does. It takes effort. It takes purpose. It takes intention. We have to do this on purpose and we all have to do it. What do we see happening here? There are three things in this house-to-house contact we see being taken care of. First of all, meeting one another's needs. That's what we saw in Acts chapter 9. Tabitha was able to look at a circle of people who had a specific need and she met that need. The second thing that we see taking place, we go back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 46. We have them in the assembly day by day, continue with one mind in the temple. And then breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Spending secular social time together. You know, one of the problems is, is that in our modern day, we're trying to make the church do everything. And we realize that having good relationships is good for Christians, and so now churches everywhere are trying to govern that. And they set up these fellowship halls, and, and they set up all these various things that they're doing, and it's, oh, it's about Christians spending time with one another. You know what happened here? Christians just spent time with one another. The church didn't have to build anything. The church didn't have to organize anything. Christians just did it. And do you think any of these folks who are eating from house to house had all 3,000 people in their home? No, of course not. They had little groups of people, probably circles of contact. And it ebbed and flowed. There would be, you know, new people would come in and they'd invite them over and they'd find folks. And, you know, it was open. It was very flexible. I don't think that you had the clicks and things. You just had folks that spent time with one another and they were open with one another. But I also want to point out to this, we've got to keep reading on into verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding their number day by day, those who were being saved. Not only did they spend social time together outside of these walls, they also spent time together praising God. They spent time together singing. They spent time together praying. In Acts chapter 12 and verse 12, we know about Mary, the mother of John Mark, who had some group of people into her home praying about Peter. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 20, Paul points out that he taught not only publicly, but he taught from house to house. And that's something that I think is really getting missed among churches today, even ones that we call sound churches, is we have this concept that, well, we get enough of that church stuff at church. You know, when, when, we're, when we're at our homes, that's about socializing and, and watching the game. Certainly there should be that. But you know what, brethren? We need to be spending time with one another praising God, singing and praying and studying His Word. And it doesn't have to be something that the elders organize or something that I wrote material. Just we need to be doing that. Can you think of some people that you could do that with? Are there folks in your neighborhood that would be just real easy to one day a week get up a little bit early and get together and pray? You know, they don't have to travel across town. They don't have to go meet at Cracker Barrel. They just come over to your house for about 20 minutes because they live there. Are there folks that you work with? Are folks that you can do things together with, that you can make sure to do something spiritual while you're doing it, to praise God, praying or singing? What can you do? These are the kind of things that were taking place. And because this was going on, because the Jerusalem church was developing leaders throughout the congregation, not just members, not just attenders, not just people who will do what you tell them when you tell them, but people who are actual leaders. Who, when they saw problems, when they saw somebody not doing right, they dealt with it and they worked with them and influenced them. Because they were spreading that out through the congregation and because folks were getting together outside of the assemblies, folks were not getting lost in the crowd. It wasn't, it wasn't happening. Uh, certainly there were some. You know, the fact is, Jesus told us that there would always be people who fall away. 
And there were people. There were the Ananiases and Sapphiras. But look at the sustained growth that they had, and it just continued. They didn't hit this ceiling, not for years and years. Actually, their ceiling came when Stephen was killed. And then amazingly enough, you get to the end of Acts, and James says, look at all the thousands of people we have here in Jerusalem. They just kept on growing. Amazing. What does this mean for you? If this congregation is going to be like this so that we can grow and we can handle the more people that we baptize, what does this mean for you as an individual? Let me, let me just take a moment. I don't want to take too much time, but you know, I, I read something within the last two weeks that really interested me. And it made the point that uh, whenever a group of people is talked to, they always see the responsibility as diffused out over the whole group. And so, because they see the responsibility as diffused out over their own group, the personal responsibility doesn't seem quite as much. And so, because I don't have time to go talk to all 136 of you with this lesson individually this week, would you please, for just the next few minutes, pretend that you and I are just sitting in your living room and I am telling you individually, here is your responsibility, and if you don't do it, nobody else will. Okay, can we all do that? Here's what it means for you. The first thing that it means for you is that the work of serving belongs to you. It doesn't belong to anybody else. If there are needs out there that need to be met, it's not your job to go out and figure out whose responsibility it is. The, the act of service, the work of service belongs to you. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 says, and he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. I want you to notice, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why? So they could equip the saints for the work of service. Those roles, their job is not to do all the serving, the elders, the preacher. Their job is not to do all the serving. Their job is to equip us to do all the serving. Because that is our job. That is your job. And so when you see, see a work that needs to be done, you see somebody who has a need of service, don't go to the elders and say, hey, what plan can we get set up for these folks? Go get it done. Just do it. Find somebody to help you. Bring them along. But the work of service belongs to you. Now, I'm going to warn you. This very next one. It's hard for me to preach it, and it's going to be equally hard for you to hear it, but this is something that we have to do, and I know it's going to shock you. It's just, if the first right out of the bat, you're going to say there's no way, because this is just not the way we do it. But I just want to tell you, this is the way it is in the Bible. Number two, don't expect personal attention from the preachers or elders. I just want you to think, Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, we just read it just moments ago. In verse 1, they went to the apostles, the leaders of the church, the shepherds, the ones trained by Jesus to make this whole thing work. And they said, we've got a problem. We've got some women and widows that are not being taken care of. What are you going to do about it? And what did the apostles say? We're not going to do anything about it. We're too busy praying and ministering the Word. We're going to find some other folks to do something about it. 
What would happen if we had some widows in need today and somebody went up to Don Adair and said, Don, what are you elders going to do about these widows? And he said, nothing. Why don't you do something about it? Because I'm busy praying and ministering the Word. How many of you would leave? Oh, man, we'd be all in an uproar. Oh, how awful our elders are. They're not paying specific attention to every individual member. I tell you, one of the things that I just... I don't know how folks think they did it back here because they have this idea that the church is only being shepherded properly when all the elders know every single member. That can't work. Do you think the apostles knew all 15,000 people in Jerusalem? I don't think it's possible to know and take care of and shepherd directly 15,000 people. I don't think it's possible for 12 men to just divide up 15,000 people and then be able to shepherd directly every person. It doesn't work. Do you realize that about the limit of a close relationship for one person is about 12? Maybe that's why Jesus only directly shepherded 12 people. Do you ever think about that? How many people get all upset because the elders or the preachers didn't notice my problem? See, when we're developing those leaders throughout the congregation, that doesn't have to, doesn't have to be that way because folks can help one another and it doesn't have to be the elder or the preacher. Let me just use a modern-day example. They talked about the widows back there in Acts chapter 6. Just a modern-day example. I try to do my best. I'm, I'm better at it sometimes than I am at others, of visiting folks in the hospital and visiting shut-ins. Typically better at visiting folks in the hospital than visiting the shut-ins. But, you know, the fact is, can you imagine if it were my responsibility to visit the three to four, five hundred sick and shut-in people that the Jerusalem church would have had if I was supposed to do that every week? How much teaching could I get done? And yet, you know, I talk to older preachers all the time and they'll say, you know, you can preach about it and you can talk about it. In the end, Edwin, if you don't go visit the sick and the shut-in, they won't listen to you when you preach. Well, brethren, here's, here's my point. I'm going to try to come see you in the hospital. But you know what? If I forget or if I neglect or if I'm out of, time, out of time and you don't listen to the gospel being preached, I'm not the one who will be lost for it. That's our responsibility to listen to the truth. And one of the things that we've got to understand is this concept that you know, the preacher's got to hit everybody who's sick and shut in all the time is actually crippling our growth because we can't do it. I can't do it. But if we develop leaders throughout the congregation who are meeting needs, if we're working in those circles of contact, guess what happens to every person who's ever sick and every person who's shut in? Somebody's taking care of them. Somebody is meeting their needs. And nobody's getting lost in the crowd. And so what does this mean for you? You've got some work to do meeting other people's needs. But number two, don't get upset when it's not the preacher or the elders who are meeting your needs. Because they're not the only ones here to do the work of service. And number three, recognize you are a working part of this congregation. There's something that you can do. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many... 
If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as He desired. Do you see what this verse says? This verse says you are in Christ's body because... That you're where you are in Christ's body because that's where God desires you. Because He sees you as being able to meet some need right there. Why? Because whether you're a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear, there is something that you can do in the congregation to make it work. You may not be able to do what the person next to you can do, but there's something you can do. Look in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Romans 12 and verse 4 says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Here is an exemplary list, an example list of various kinds of gifts. You know, one of the biggest problems that we have in the church today is that when folks think about work in the church, what do they think about? They think about what goes up here in this first 20 feet of this building. And how many times they get to wait on the table and how many times they get to lead prayer, whether they preach or whether they lead singing. But did you notice in this list of gifts and work in the church, only one of them was public? teaching, the rest of them, and even that, of course, can be done in private, but the rest of them all deal with things that mercy, leadership, giving, liberality, and it goes on, let love be without hypocrisy. What kind of gifts do you have? What kind of abilities do you have? Maybe you can't get up here, but there's work for you to do. Can you encourage and encourage somebody? Can you pray, then pray for somebody. Can you be generous, then be generous with those who are in need. 1 Peter, chapter 4. 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as the one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What does he say? He says, God has given you gifts. And he's given them to you so you can serve God and serve your brethren. What can you do? Can you cook? Then, then feed somebody who needs some help with that. Can you work? Then get out and cut somebody's grass. There's this yard down in Spring Hill that could really use it. Can you encourage? Then encourage somebody. Can you pray? Then pray with somebody. Are you a handyman? Then go over and help somebody fix something in their house. Find folks. They're out there. We all need it. We've all got needs. We've all got things we're good at. Can you teach? Then teach. But whatever you do, do it in order to serve God and serve others. This is what we need to learn from this. If we're going to keep from losing people in the crowd, the work of serving belongs to you. Don't expect personal attention from elders and preachers and recognize you're a working part of this congregation. Please 
Do not go away from this lesson today saying, boy, that sounded great. I can't wait till the elders get something started like that. Find what you can do this week. Find somebody you can encourage. Find a a need that you can serve in. That sounded bad. Find a nerd you can see then. Find us. Find somebody. Find a need that you can serve in. Even if the person is a nerd. But serve where you can. Find somebody that you can pray with. Find somebody you can encourage. Who can you get together with and study God's Word? Who can you get together with and, and pray with and sing with and praise God? Who can you get together with and just spend some time together? Playing games. Eating, whatever, just spending time with one another. Who can you do that with? I'm going to tell you what, it takes planning. Otherwise, we'll be another year and we'll not have gotten together with anyone. And saying, well, you know, I don't know anybody there and nobody ever invites me over. What can you do this week? And when we do that, we'll be like that Jerusalem church and we'll be growing and we won't lose anybody in the crowd and nobody will be complaining because, well, I don't know everybody because we'll all be having our needs met and it'll work. And we'll lose nobody in the crowd. I hope this look at the Jerusalem church was very helpful to you as we learned how to be victorious and successful as they were. We recognize that as a congregation grows, the possibility of losing folks in the crowd increases. And we want to be like the Jerusalem church, learning how to lose no one in the crowd. Let's remember what we learned today. We learned, first of all, some of the modern approaches to losing no one in the crowd that fall short. Approach number one, don't have a crowd. Approach number two, let the preacher take care of the crowd. Approach number three, let the elders divide up the crowd. And approach number four, just assign small groups. The Jerusalem church didn't do any of these things. Rather, they focused on two keys. Key number one, develop leaders. Because when leaders are developed, they will have followers that they can take care of and folks won't be lost in the crowd. Key number two, don't just have contact with one another in the crowd. Have contact in house-to-house circles of contact. What did we learn about what to do in those house-to-house circles? First, we need to meet one another's needs through those circles. Second, we need to spend time together secularly and socially, getting to know one another. Thirdly, we need to spend time worshiping and praising God. Finally, we took a look at what this means specifically for you. First, it means that the work of service belongs to you. Second, It means that you must not get upset regarding receiving personal attention from preachers and elders. And third, it means there is work for you to do within the congregation. God has placed you within the body exactly where he wants you because of the work and ability that you can accomplish. Perhaps somebody gave you this lesson. If so, let me invite you to come to our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. You are free to download as many of the lessons as you like. We have them in audio format and outline format. Use them in whatever way you believe glorifies God and helps his people grow closer to him. If you have any questions about the Jerusalem church, about Christ's church, about the Franklin church, feel free to call us at 615-794-2359. Or again, you can contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.